1: We're seeing a lot of people reimagine their lives. Lives and perspectives about life have been turned upside down due to COVID combined with an aging population. The mass resignation is underway and there is an outflow of people from our big cities to the suburbs and beyond. And there are 90,000 centenarians in the US today and this will increase to nearly 600,000 in 2060. Today, my guest, Michael Clinton and I will be talking about how to start a new life. You can start at any age and you can start as we would recommend today. And contrary to what you may believe or have heard, it does not matter how old you are. Michael is the former president and publishing director for Hearst Magazines and is currently the special media advisor to the Hearst Corporation CEO, Stephen Schwartz. He is also a photographer, a pilot, a marathoner, And he owns part of a vineyard in Argentina, and he's the author of Roar. Roar into the second half of your life before it's too late. Michael, welcome. And let's get started with a quick question on your life. How many marathons have you run? And are you still running them?
2: Hey, Tom, thank you for having me. And the answer is, uh, I think I'm up to about 16 marathons. But here's here's the punchline. I ran a few when I was in my 20s. I did not run my next one until I was in my mid fifties. I celebrated my 60th birthday by running a marathon on Antarctica, completing seven marathons on seven continents. And yes, I'm still running. I've got, um, you know, well COVID give me a little, you know, uh, pause, but I'm gonna be running uh, one in 2022 for sure.
1: And something else I noted is that you've experienced 124 countries. Now, I've been to a lot of countries, but 124, just this incredible number. What what took you to so many countries?
2: Well, you know, I started when I was in college. I was, uh, you know, I I put myself through college because I came from a poor working class family. So I had to take lots of loans. And I had this brainstorm that I was going to go backpacking in Europe for a summer. And it would probably be the only time I would ever get to go to Europe. I was around 18 years old. So I took some of my student loan money and I went backpacking to around, I don't know, 18, 19 countries. And I got the serious wanderlust bug and realized that I was meant to explore the world as much as I possibly could. So yeah, I my, my last trip was to Ethiopia, which um, was just, just before COVID ended. I, I landed back in the, in the States on March 10th of 2020. So you can do that math. Um, so we got the, the 124th country in just then.
1: Well, I've had through from a business standpoint and then I did a lot more personally, I've traveled a lot of countries and one thing I'll say about traveling outside the United States. It gives you number one a great appreciation for what we do have here, but it also gives you an appreciation for other cultures. And I had the opportunity I'm sure you did as well because of your business to have meals in people's homes around the world. So it's not sitting in restaurants. You really get to know a culture and the language and everything else. And I found it to really be energizing and a big part of my life. So you've got this new book out, Roar. And as I look at it, it's it's kind of like you're providing us with a guide, a guide to an awakening. Tell us what you mean by an awakening.
2: Well, you know, one of the things that, you know, this notion of a midlife crisis is really um An old idea, because if you've lived 25, 30 years as an adult, and let's say you're 50, you have an awakening as to who you are, what you've done, good decisions, bad decisions, your wins, your losses, all the above. And And I say that if you're 50 and healthy or 60 and healthy, you've got a good shot of living to be 90 or being one of those centenarians that you mentioned at the top of the show. And you've got this whole possibility of doing lots more than you thought you might do. And really giving, not following the script that our, that our, the generation before us uh, followed, because it was a different time where life expectancies were were much lower than they are now.
1: And the Aurora is really an acronym. You've got the four steps. Tell us about, we're going to go a deeper, but tell us what those four steps, what ROAR stands for.
2: Yeah, thank you. Uh, it, it is an acronym. And the, the beauty of it is that it's simplified in these four steps. I interviewed 40 amazing people who represent the four steps and lots of tools and tips and resources. The first R is reimagine your life before others do it for you because things happen to you. And so what, how do you build a plan and what's your favorite future that you can design for yourself? The O is own who you are on all fronts, where you came from, where you are at this moment in life, your numbers, your health numbers, your financial numbers, your your final number, uh, which we can get into. The A is act on what's next for you. And this a, a concept that I call life layering, which we can talk about, which is really sort of a very practical do- guide to, to roaring into the second half of your life. And the final R is reassess your relationships because it's your family, your friends, your spouse, your kids, your colleagues, all of those people who are going to help you facilitate where you want to go and what you want to be
1: now i've watched one study after another uh talking about workforce engagement and i believe it's down 25 or 30 percent and as you well know it's being written about every day we've got this mass resignation uh and a lot of people because of COVID, have gone to the suburbs and they don't want to go back to the city and there's great turmoil uh, I, I Helga Dittmar uh, did a meta-analysis uh, in the Journal of Personality and S- Social Psychology, 200 studies. And she uh, really talked a lot about happiness and life satisfaction, lower levels of vitality and self-actualization, and people with more depression and anxiety and psychopathology. And the bottom line was, is that money and possessions were not the important keys to happiness and success in life. And you talk uh, to a great extent, we got about 15 seconds and then we're going to go to break. And then we want to talk about uh, somebody that uh, represents uh, the four steps, but the meaning, how important is meaning in in all of this?
2: Yeah. Well, I, you know, Tom, I don't think that happiness is something that we should be pursuing. It's a, it's a false construct because as we all know, it comes and goes and ebbs and flows. I I like to say we should be following um, fulfillment, satisfaction, that equals meaning, and that will then bring you happiness. So yes, the importance of identifying what will fulfill and satisfy you is critical for all of the well-being that we will have at any age.
1: Well, we're going to come back in a second with uh, Michael Clinton. He's the former president and publishing director of Hearst Magazines and author of Roar, Roar into the second half of your life before it's too late, and we'll be back in a couple of minutes. This is The Mentors, now in its fifth year. Go to the website, TheMentorsRadio.com, to listen to past shows. When you're there, subscribe so you do not miss any future shows. TheMentorsRadio.com, and this is Tom Laurie, and you're listening to The Mentors Radio Show.
3: Hi, I'm the executive producer of The Mentors Radio Show. Usually, I'm behind the scenes, but I want to tell you about something special. If you're an entrepreneur like me, you need steady energy and focus. Here's my secret. The demands of business, not to mention important time with family and friends, make steady energy so important. With more than one million fans, one million fans, I'm not alone in recommending Bulletproof. Go to feelgreat.vip. That's VIP, like very special person. feelgreat.vip to
4: learn more. Better life, better business. Hi, I'm Christoph Naur. I'm a certified business and life coach helping business owners increase productivity, profits, and improve personal life. I'm the founder of Balance Six, money, health, relationship, time management, self-improvement, and higher power. I coach business owners to work smarter, not longer, to have time for better personal life. I hold you accountable for making time available to Balance Six, to nurture yourself and your relationships, and making more money with less stress. Get off the hamster wheel and I will show you the secrets to real success. In case you're wondering about my accent, I came from Switzerland more than 30 years ago, but I assure you my coaching will be in excellent English. Visit our website at balance6.biz. That's balance6.biz.
0: And now, Back to the mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business.
1: Welcome back. This is Tom Laurie, and I'm with this week's guest mentor, Michael Clinton, pilot, vintner, marathoner, world traveler, photographer, and former president and publishing director of Hearst Magazines. Our topic today is waking up at any stage in life to its possibilities and a path to find meaning. Remember, you can also Listen to this show or any previous show via podcast and iTunes, TuneIn, Spotify, Google, and more on any device, anytime. Subscribe at thementorsradio.com. Tell us a little bit uh, about Stephanie, who is a book editor at age 33, and then something took place. Tell us about her story and talk about these four steps. Uh, how she emphasize or how she uh, shows what they how they all work together.
2: Yeah, so Stephanie, uh, as you said, was a book editor, and when she was in her early 50s, she was having a heart-to-heart with one of her best friends who, you know, they were talking about sort of the rest of their lives. Her kids were grown, she was married, her kids were grown up, and she, um, her her friend said, if you could do anything at all that you could in your life, what what would you want to do? And she said, I would want to become a medical doctor. Now, at the age of 53, that is a big challenge for a whole host of reasons, but Stephanie went on that journey. She, incidentally, is one of 40 people who I interviewed who followed this, this Roar sort of journey. Stephanie went back to school to take chemistry and biology and sort of basic undergraduate courses. She then um, applied to an American medical school, and she was, as she would say, faced with a lot of ageism. So she found an alternative and went to the Caribbean um, and went to medical school there. I, m- I might add that during this process, she had really no money. So she had to find a way to pay for this. And she, she ended up having all of her education paid for. There are an enormous amount of scholarships and fellowships that are available to people at midlife. One great source is Scholarship Owl, where she found some, uh, some financial help. And in and, and midlife, there's a lot of, of that available for people. She then went to uh, down to the Caribbean to, the med- to medical school. Her, her marriage fell apart. She got divorced. Uh, she came back uh, ready to sign up for some residencies, and she had to go to California to spend some time as her mother was terminally ill. So she went there to take care of her mother, and while she was doing that, she started leaning back into her old skills and became a, an editor for medical articles, and medical medical technology, and medical um, uh, various medical institutions. She then uh, came back, and by the way, while she was there, she got another scholarship and did an, an ancillary degree in, in in some form of uh, medicine, not an MD, but another form of medicine. Anyway, long story short, um, she's now in a residency, she's 63, she'll be a doctor in another you know year or two. And she said, I'm, I'll be 65 and I can be a practicing physician for 20, 25 years and have a very fulfilling career you know in that space. And I think that's a great way to think about it because you can have a second career, a third career. You don't have to go and become a doctor and do the heavy lift that she did, but the possibilities are there to have different careers at different stages of your life that are completely different from what you did when you started out.
1: So she reimagined her life. Yep. She owned it. Yep. She acted on it. Yep. And then she obviously changed her relationships. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so whatever, But tell me about a little bit about the uh, ageism that she may have faced. I, I'm thinking of age, I'm in the healthcare field and, yeah. you know, 53 getting started as a doctor. There's a lot of naysayers around that one.
2: Yeah, well, that's just it. And, you know, there the, um, the the system is set up so that it, did not, it does not necessarily reward people <clears throat> who are in their midlife. Now, I did interview a, a, another woman who is a doctor. She's been a doctor for 20 years. And at the age of 55, she was a very well-known dermatologist, Moes surgeon. At the age of 55, she is a first-year student in a new veterinary school in uh, her hometown. So she is going to pivot from becoming a dermatologist to becoming, as she calls it, an activist veterinarian. And so, you know, that probably with her her history and background in medicine she didn't face the the same kind of things but i think this this notion of there're going to be so many people you you alluded to it that are going through the 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 living longer pipeline i call it the living longer pipeline not the getting older pipeline who are going to be reimagining who they want to be that governments corporations universities, associations are all going to start to have to rethink their policies and their approaches to tap into this this potential skill set, work workforce group of people. So it's going to be very interesting, you know, next couple of decades.
1: You're listening to the Mentors Radio Show. This is Tom Laurie. We're with former Hearst President Michael Clayton, who is on a mission to help all of us find meaning in our lives. So when you're talking about this, uh, let's go back to the ageism. What are your thoughts Because I run a ministry for people out here who are in transition, and this is a topic that comes up quite often. What would your advice be to somebody that is uh, concerned with ageism, uh, possibly faced it?
2: Yeah, well, I think first of all, if if you're working and you are concerned about it or you're you're feeling it, you should be pushing back against it in your company or your industry. One of the sobering stats that I saw is PwC did a study and only 8% of companies, corporations have age as part of their diversity, equity, inclusiveness policy. And that is a staggering thing, because if you think about it, it affects everyone, regardless of your gender, your race, your religion, your politics, we're all gonna be faced you know, in the workplace potentially with that. And so I think that this has to be challenged. I, I was very proud in my last year as a, as a senior executive I promoted a 70-year-old woman and expanded her responsibilities because she was a fantastic executive and continues to be. And so I think you need senior management to step in and say we can't lose this skill set. We can't push people out at 65. We should be letting people work. And by the way, if they don't want to work full time, let's find some new hybrid models in which we can tap into them and have them work, you know, part-time, part in the office. Part hybrid now that we've established that, so I think that the 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 what's going to happen is over the next years, especially with this talent flight of the just sheer volume, the people in the baby boom generation leaving the workplace, employers are going to be forced to have to think about how they retain and bring them bring them back. But I say challenge your company and challenge it through your HR people, through your through your bosses, and 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 start there on the on the people level.
1: So, with some of the work that I've done in the ministry, one of the things I've noticed is that some people act and look old. Yeah. As a matter of fact, at they're just—they are old. I mean, just, everything about them is old. Right. And then there are other people who are old, but they look and act twenty years younger. Talk a little bit about what people should do to—you don't want to be looking old. You want to be looking vital, right?
2: Yes. You know, it's such a head thing because it, it used to be that we were taught that when you're 50 or 60 plus, you're supposed to act a certain way, dress a certain way, not do a certain thing. And in the book, we challenge this notion of, of age appropriate and we call it person appropriate because what's happening now is there are a lot of role models around, you know, there are people becoming parents at 50. There are the, the fastest growing group of entrepreneurs are 55 to 64 year olds. There are people that are falling in love and getting reconnected at 80. So I think that finding these role models to see the possibilities, that, those are the 40 people who I who I sussed out because they're rewriting the script about second half, and the next generations are going to follow them and refine it. And by the way, the people in in our generation and my generation can do the same. So it really starts with your own headset and your own self-imposed ageism, um, that creates these barriers in this sort of age appropriate mentality that we all we all bring in burden burden on ourselves. Um, and it's just not the way the world can work for us.
1: And when you and I prepared for the show, we talked about Alan Petrikoff, who is a legendary venture capitalist, uh, who's 87. And we read uh, just recently that he started a new $30 million fund to fund people who are focused on projects that help people who are more older and also are running older people that are running ventures. I thought that was fascinating.
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. He has got, um, you know, many investments already in products and services. There are going to be so many different products and services in the health space and so many other areas. And he's on the forefront of really recognizing this with his fund.
1: And I just, uh, it will it'll come out here shortly, we'll press release on somebody that we're adding to our board of directors that's 80 years old. Uh, he's a former nominee for a Nobel prize. So uh, we're, I guess I'm fitting right in with Alan. Yeah. So we're gonna come back in a few minutes. We're with Michael Clinton, uh, who is the former president and publishing director of Hearst magazines and the author of War. This is Tom Laurie, and this is the Mentors Radio Show.
6: dot com.
0: And now back to the mentors where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business.
1: Welcome back. This is Tom and I'm with this week's guest mentor, Michael Clinton, pilot, Vintner, marathoner, world traveler, photographer, and the former president and publishing director of Hearst magazines. Our topic today is waking up at any stage in life to its possibility and a path to find meaning. So, Let's talk about ROAR itself and each of the steps. Uh, Let's say I'm a a friend of yours, a colleague. I'm going through a reflective time. And I say, I come to you and I say, tell me about this. How do I reimagine my life? How do I go about doing that?
2: Yeah, you know, it is um, the the steps that many of the, I'm going to go back to the 40 people that I interviewed because they were the beacons on this. They each spent one to two years really thinking about what they wanted for their future it could be career it could be lifestyle where they lived it could be their relationship it could be how they wanted to spend their time and so you've got to put in the time to identify where you want change where you want evolution and by the way you can be very happy with your life but you know you still are going to have things that are going to happen to you You might become an empty nester so your kids are gone you're gonna have a lot more time on your hands so what do you do with that What are gonna do with that time So the process, I like to say, uh, what is your favorite future? And if you're 50, I like to say, go to 90 and work backwards. What is it that you want to accomplish in the next 40 years? You know, that may be daunting, but do 20 years. And, you know, at some point you might make a decision that you want to do something completely different. And how do you create the practical steps in order to do that? And there are a lot of great examples, not just the people that I interviewed, but You know, there was a a great story of um, a a guy and his wife who were uh, he was a lawyer and she was an emergency room nurse and they decided they were going to become coffee growers in Kona, Hawaii. In their late 50s and they went out there and they launched heavenly Hawaiian farms where they produce and distribute their own blend of coffee. It's a move that he says was was not retirement, but a change of focus. He wanted a new change of focus. And they were able to, able to do that. And there are countless examples that, that we read about um, of people who are in their 50s or 60s and become entrepreneurs, run new businesses. But they, they really put in the time as to what and how they want to spend their days. And I think too many people say, well, you know what? I want some change, but I'll, I'll figure it out someday when I retire from my first career. I'll figure it out what I'm going to do. And that's just, that just doesn't work. That just doesn't work because you waste a lot of time and a lot of years when you can really be setting yourself up for the next the next stage. So that's that whole process. Those are some some approaches in terms of in terms of how how one can one can do it. But you got to really start thinking about it from from you know how do you put in the time to get there.
1: So that takes a lot of reflection. I, I would imagine that you are a proponent of people uh, sitting back and reflecting and journaling. I'll tell you
2: what I do. I mean, I, I have a, a year, I, I do a January journal. <clears throat> I call it a January journal and I write down through all the cat- categories in life, what I hope to accomplish that year. And it can be in family and love and work and fitness and anything that, you know, I'm on, on a marathon and I sort of keep tabs on myself on a, on a monthly basis. I, I'm not obsessive about it, but I check in the first month, uh, the first week of the month. And I'm like, how am I progressing on what do I want, what do I want to achieve here? And if it becomes June or July and there's something on the list that I haven't I haven't gotten to, then I'm sort of saying, is it really have meaning to me? Is it really what I want to do? Is it really what I'm focused on? Because it's only me that I can blame for not for not moving it forward. So it's a good way to keep yourself self-accountable. And, um, you know, it is it can be in any aspect of your life, your life. It doesn't have to be your whole life. There's an amazing woman in the book who realized she had gained 100 pounds and was her health was in um, in jeopardy, and she took it. She left her job, with her husband's support, and she spent a year in fitness, health, and nutrition. She lost her hundred pounds, and she ended up becoming an entrepreneur and, and launching a, an, an interesting business. But you know, she had to identify what it was and really k- kept herself focused on it. So that that's key.
1: So one of the things, again, going back to the work I've done in my ministry and this people feeling this, I'm too old or I'm this and I'm that, uh, kind of along the lines of your 90-year-old, I actually tell them to go out to a, a home where there are a bunch of 90-year-olds and tell them that they're 55 or 65 or 75 and get their perspective on age. Uh, it's completely different. Uh, and they'll go, hey, you're just a kid, you know, go out and do it. Um, you know, there's, there's another
2: thing I would bring up, Tom. There's a there's an, a really interesting book. It's got a somber title, but it's really worth a read. It's called The Five Regrets of the Dying. And it was um, a hospice nurse who for 20, 25 years listened to people as they were at the end of their life. And she put these, all of them into, into five themes. And one of the themes that I really think is so critical is, I wish I had been more true to myself. I wish I had followed my own North Star to do what I wanted to do and not have my parents, my spouse, my kids, my whomever. I wish I had followed my own North Star. And I think that is so critical when you're in midlife because you begin to realize that, you know, you get a better perspective on time. And so it's a a variation on what you just described. It was just that these people were were literally leaving the earth, as opposed to still being alive at the back, at the very end of their lives.
1: Let's move on to the second letter. Oh, own where you came from. Let's talk a little bit about uh, that reflection. And you have a couple of good. You have a number of questions in the book that people should be asking themselves. And one is the five traits that you would use to identify yourself. And I guess I'll flip it around and ask you, you could show up, give people an example.
2: Well, yeah, you know, I think here's the way you, you do it. We all have this perception of who we are and go out and ask 10, 12 people to give you the five traits that, that identify you to them. So I did this with family members and friends and, you know, I got nine of the 12 people came back um, as using the word generous. Michael is generous and all aspects of generosity. And to me, that is a really important quality that I self-identify with. So, you know, we all know the person who says, well, I'm very empathetic. And all their friends say, you're the least empathetic person that I know. So you got to do a reality check with your family and friends in terms of, you know, who you are and who they think you are versus who you think you are. But you also have to be absolutely brutal about where you are in your life right now. You have to do a complete personal inventory before you you can change. It might be that you you have no savings and you have no money. Okay, so what does that mean? It might be that your health is really lousy. So what do you have to do about that? It might be that, you know, you're not in love with your spouse anymore. Okay, you're going to face that reality. Um, brutally honest as to where you are, because before you can build the plan of who, how you're going to reimagine yourself.
1: And you got to get over it things, right? I mean, maybe they've been yeah. fired. They said, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. I mean, you gotta, you gotta, you've got, you can't dwell on what was because um, that's counterproductive, you have to dwell on on what is, and what's going uh, to be in the future. And, you know, being fired is a non non event these days, it doesn't represent what it once did, divorce is doesn't represent what it once did. I mean, we, you know, as a society, we have we've moved along. And we should be, you know, feeling that we can move along with the social norms that are now around us.
1: We're going to come back in a few minutes. We're with Michael Clinton. He is the former president and publishing director of Hearst Magazines and author of Roar. This is Tom Laurie and this is the Mentors Radio Show.
7: Hey, professional businesswomen. I know how busy your life is. To look your best, nails matter. The good news is I can save you a lot of nasty, chemical-smelling nail salon time. Just imagine. A perfect manicure in just minutes at home, even while watching TV. No dry time, no smudges, no streaks, and your new manicure will last up to 10 days, often longer. I'm talking about 100% real nail polish. Yes, real nail polish, including top and base coat all in one that can gently be stretched for a perfect custom fit. Gorgeous, vibrant colors, soft pastels, gentle glitter or can't miss designs and nail art. You have options. For about $12 a set, you can even get some free. Choose your colors or designs, receive them in about three days. Done. Everything you need is included. Polish easily removes and does not damage nails. Check it out. Nailsforme.com. Nails, the number four M E dot com. That's Nailsforme.com.
3: Hi, I'm the executive producer of the Mentors Radio Show. Usually I'm behind the scenes, but I want to tell you about something special. The demands of business, not to mention important time with family and friends, make steady energy so important. With more than one million fans, one million fans, I'm not alone in recommending Bulletproof. Go to feelgreat.vip. That's VIP, like very special person. feelgreat.vip to learn more.
0: And now... Back to the mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business.
1: Welcome back. This is Tom Laurie, and I'm with this week's guest mentor, Michael Clinton, former president and publishing director of Hearst Magazines. Remember, you can now listen to our Saturday broadcast live anywhere in the world on iHeartRadio. So back to just and, I, and I've got to move quickly, but let's spend a a few minutes or a minute or two on self-talk, which is a big deal. Mm
7: -hmm. And
1: uh, people telling themselves what they tell themselves. And as when you and I were talking, I mentioned Stephen Crawford in his book, Magnificent Mind about how the mind works and whatever we tell it, it's going to believe. So if we tell ourselves that we're not good, the brain believes that. And I know you've got uh, a spin on that as well.
2: Yeah. I spent some time in the book interviewing a psychologist, uh, Dr. Anastasia Parsons, and what I found really interesting is that she said it is, it's become very sort of commonplace for people in midlife to get into negative self-talk. You know, I, I should have done that. I, I didn't get that job. i You know, that relationship went sour, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And to your point, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. So she talks about the tools that you have to build to allow you to move yourself out of that. You know, part of it is uh, surrounding yourself. This is gets back to relationships, surrounding yourself with the people who support you, who believe in you, who support the goals that you have for your life and moving forward. You know, part of it is gratitude, you know, a daily gratitude moment where you're grateful for the things that you do have and having that, you know, be a part of your brainwave. And so you can take this negative self-talk out of your life. If you follow some of these resources and there are some great resources in the book as to how people can do that
1: and your book really is focused on people being proactive and taking charge but as we've mentioned uh just in the last segment that people get fired sometimes and all of a sudden they're sitting there uh between a rock and a hard place and they have to make some decisions and one thing i do recommend for people that have gone through that process is that Harvey McKay wrote a great book years ago called We've Been Fired about famous people and how being terminated led them in new directions where they became well-known in some field that, and all of us, we never knew that they were all fired. So, and there's plenty of information around for people to go to, to to find others that uh, they can look to that were able to navigate all that. Now, I'd like to get now into ACT, and I really want to talk about life layering Because that's a way to put your toe in the water early and get going. So if you could talk to us about life layering, I'd appreciate it.
2: Yeah, it's something you could do at any point in your life, whether you're 25 or 65. You know, when I was 39 years old, I was the publisher of GQ. I had a great job, had a great family life. But I thought that I was the most boring human being on the planet because all I was doing was working. And I, I realized that I needed to create, you know, other what I'll call identities for myself because many of us fall in the trap of the seat that we sit in becomes our identity. And then if that seat goes away, you're fired, you retire, you are pushed out, you you lose your identity. So when I was turning 40, I decided I I have an adventure streak in me. I was gonna go climb a mountain, climb Mount Kilimanjaro in Africa, take a flying lesson and go to race car driving school. And I ended up becoming a pilot, as you mentioned, and also hiked many, many mountains around the world but my 40s i declared were going to be my adventure travel years and now you know 25 plus years later i've got this huge layer of my life of adventure traveling and having you know these incredible adventures i put other subsequent layers on my life as well and you've mentioned many of them so when i stepped out of my seat as the president and publishing director of hearst magazines you know i completely pivoted into my other identities you know I was an adventure traveler, I was a marathon runner, I was a photographer, I was a writer, I was a I was a vintner, I was a philanthropist. And it was really these layers that I built over my lifetime that allowed me to have a richness of experience and satisfaction. So I say pick something. Oftentimes people say well where do I start? I don't know what I, I'm interested in. I don't know what I what I like. I always say go back to your younger self and pick up a thread That you left there that you know is inside of you. I'll give you a quick example. A woman that I interviewed who was a sales executive for her whole career. And in her mid 50s, she had said, I was always, I always wanted to be a writer. I have the writing skill. I want to write a novel. I want to write mystery novels. She started taking courses online, doing master classes, listened to Dan Brown, went to the Mystery Guild Writers Conference. To make a long story short, she wrote a book. And she had 177 rejections because she kept a spreadsheet. But she then finally um, sold a, a second book that she had worked on. And she's now 66. She's written five mystery novels. A number of them are very successful, especially in the UK and Australia. Interestingly enough, she's an American. And she said, I'm a novelist. And I went back to my younger self and pulled that thread forward. And she now self-identifies as a novelist and is going to do that for the rest of her life. So I think that's, go back to something you've left behind and pick it up again. There's one way to do it.
1: You're listening to the Mentors Radio Show. This is Tom Laurie, and We're with former Hearst president, Michael Clinton. So as you put your toe in the water and do all these things, you're really uh, extending tentacles out into the world. But... I willing to bet maybe you have something you can share that as you put the tentacles out taking you in the path that you want to go, other people see something and pull you in even new, more directions. And, and maybe you've got an experience with one of your different your, your Renaissance guy going in a lot of different directions. but once you get out there, people see that. Tell us what happens after you do that. Well you know,
2: I'm going to give you an example of a great a great guy who he, he owned a business. Um, It was um, for pet products. He was in Tennessee, and he had a very successful business. He he and his wife were philanthropists in their community, and he decided he wanted to get involved somehow in higher education. He only had a bachelor's degree. And to make a long story short, he got on a commission in the state of Tennessee to help create something called the Tennessee Promise, in which Tennesseans could go to community college or to trade school for free. And it was very successful. It was funded by the state. And that was sort of a path that he went on just out of sort of an interest in higher education. It turned out that the governor of the state was so impressed that he asked this fellow, Randy, if he would be the interim president for the University of Tennessee, which is a huge job because it's a very big educational system. And he agreed to do it. And that turned into what is now a five-year contract that he got at the age of 60 to be the president of the University of Tennessee, in which he has paid a dollar a year and he only has a bachelor's degree. And this was just sort of, you know, that's an amazing example of someone who identified as an area that they wanted to explore. And, you know, here he is today, you know, running a major university. So um, I I love that story.
1: Yeah. It's amazing how people put their toe in the water and all of a sudden uh, the wave catches them and takes them into all sorts of new areas that they never thought possible. We're gonna come back in a few minutes. We're with Michael Clinton, former president and publishing director for Hearst Magazines and the author of Roar. You will find all of our past shows, past show notes, links, and everything on the mentorsradio.com. This is Tom Laurie, and this is The Mentors Radio Show. Better life,
4: better business. Hi, I'm Christoph Naur. I'm a certified business and life coach helping business owners increase productivity, profits, and improve personal life. I'm the founder of Balance Six. Money, health, relationship, time management, self-improvement, and higher power. I coach business owners to work smarter, not longer, to have time for better personal life. I hold you accountable for making time available to Balance Six to nurture yourself and your relationships and making more money with less stress. Get off the hamster wheel, and I will show you the secrets to real success. In case you're wondering about my accent, I came from Switzerland more than 30 years ago, but I assure you my coaching will be in excellent English. Visit our website at balance6.biz. That's balance6.biz.
0: And now, back to The Mentors, where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business.
1: Welcome back. This is Tom Laurie. I'm with this week's guest mentor, Michael Clinton, who is the former president and publisher, publishing director of Hearst Magazines. Our topic is waking up at any stage in life to its possibilities and path to find meaning. So this is what I like to call the lightning round. Learn a little bit more about you. You've talked a little bit about your, uh, your background and your hard scrabble background and, uh, and all the things you've been able to accomplish. So let's start with, um, are you happy with your life right now?
2: I couldn't be happier because I've just been able to do some things that um, really were inspirational to me, like writing this book. I also went back to the university and got a master's degree at um, in my mid-60s in uh, nonprofit philanthropy at Columbia University here in New York, where I'm coming in from. And to be a student again and to have lifelong learning is really something that, that I'm jazzed about. And so to have the opportunity to do those things for myself uh, and my own growth has been very satisfying.
1: And what is it that you wish you had more time for?
2: Well, you know, with COVID, you know, it is really spending more time with extended family and friends and being there with them, you know, personally and, and being more, you know, having big gatherings. We, we took a trip this summer. I took eight, eight family members to Ireland where we're from. Our family, my parents are from, my grandparents were born there, which affords me a, uh, an Irish passport, which is, um, which is fun. But we have a very large, our family there is bigger than it is here. And the States. And so to, to introduce the 11, 11 year old and an 18 year old to his, uh, to their cousins and to let them walk in the house that their great, great, great grandfather was born in was really an amazing and wonderful experience. So I wish I had more, you know, hopefully I'll have more time as we get through all of the, the, the COVID pandemic. And that's what I sort of dream and wish for right now.
1: And what's the best advice you ever received? Ah,
2: The best advice I ever received was uh, don't get caught up in your professional seat because your seat affords you an enormous amount of interesting things. I had an amazing seat for a working class kid who found his way through the publishing business. I met presidents and I met movie stars and celebrities and captains of industry and got to do things that were extraordinary in my wildest dreams but it was because of the seat ice that I sat in. And I think you've got to keep perspective. If you're fortunate enough to have those kinds of experiences in your life, you have to keep the perspective that it's about the seat you're in. That was my great, great advice.
1: And what's the most recent book you've finished reading and what did you learn from it?
2: Ah, so, um, I finished reading Matthew McConaughey's green lights, uh, which I thought was a great inspirational book about his personal journey. Uh, I'm an avid reader of business books, uh, The Cult of We, W-E, which was all about the rise and fall of, of WeWork. But every now and then I'll pick up a classic. You know, I'll pick up something from Somerset Mom or John Irving, who's a contemporary writer, because I just enjoy enjoy the classics as well.
1: And when you're faced with a crisis or have been faced, uncertainty, adversity, what was it that helped you get to the other side?
2: You know, one of the things I learned in learning how to fly was you have to be calm at all times so learning how to be calm and stepping back as opposed to responding and reacting really stepping back in a calm way and assessing the situation then allows you to build on your plan of action and what you need to do to course correct or correct something
1: and what's your best habit
2: my best habit is probably discipline I'm really disciplined about my health, my, my fitness, my time, my, um, my friendships. I think discipline is, um, you know, in a good way, has afforded me to do a lot of things that you rattled off in the course of this, this interview, Tom.
1: And what is it that you try to avoid?
2: Toxic people, toxic situations, uh, negativity because you know, as we talked earlier, your brain can go down that hole of negativity. And if you surround yourself with those kinds of people or situations, you get swept up into it.
1: And as you look forward and building a future life, again, I'm sure, what do you think your destiny is?
2: You know, I'm, uh, I like to say I'm a proud 68 year old. 68 is the new 68. I'm hoping that I'm gonna be one of those centenarians I want to shed a light on this voice of the possibilities in the second half of life. So Roar is going to take on other dimensions. Um, we're going to uh, Roar by MichaelClinton.com has all that information as well as, um, you know, the book itself. But I really want to spend time shedding light on the possibilities of how we can all live robust, dynamic second halves.
1: And how do you spend your time uh, during the day now? Um, I'm still disciplined about my time. So
2: I've got, I'm on a lot of nonprofit boards.
1: Hey, that's it until next week. Thank you, Michael, for nudging us to rethink our lives so we can say later in life that we live the life we dreamed of. We've been talking with Michael Clinton today, his former president and publishing director for Hearst Magazines and the author of Roar. We will be posting a link to Roar and other books that we've talked about this show on our website, the When you're there, make sure you subscribe to future shows. Again, it's the mentors radio.com. Join us next week at the same time for the next edition of the mentors radio. This is Tom Laurie signing off for today. Remember to be all that you can be and, and keep the candle lit for all who struggle in the darkness.
0: It's been the mentors where remarkable CEOs challenge your thinking about life and business.